Today's reading is Acts 3. It can be found on page 1005 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for the, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he he said to them, People of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your father, fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that our murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The word of the Lord. I'm going to begin with prayer. I invite you to bow your heads. Our God of grace. In that story, what a beautiful picture there was of uh, someone leaping and dancing 
uh, and giving you glory. What freedom, what vulnerability, what safety, what joy in that picture. And it seems that there isn't a heart in this room or in this world that doesn't long for something like that. So as we come into this space with all of our stories and with the depth of experience and emotions that we bring, we pray that you would meet us in such a way that, that we are moved by your Holy Spirit towards that kind of safety and freedom and joy to leap and to dance. God, we come, and honestly, truthfully, we come with some brokenness and some brokenness sometimes, some mess that's on our minds as we come in that we're thinking about, some that we're not. And so as we sit here, we're more of a mess than we even know. And we certainly, that which we do know, we hide from each other. I know I do. And this story keeps telling us that we are loved deeply and you stand at the ready to pour your love into our dry and cracked hearts. Into, even though we're a mess, even though our devotion to you is grossly imperfect. And that's just how you meet us. That's how you've decided to reveal yourself and to repair our hearts in this world through that kind of grace. Come now with that grace. And as we, as we trust some of this time um, to be powerful because this is your word, we pray now that you speak and act through this word and make it real and make it plain for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I love this scripture passage, and especially this week, that thought came to my mind looking at it. It, it, it wouldn't have been one before this week that I would say that's my favorite uh, passage, but I almost feel like I should think of it that way because it's so filled with different layers of just kind of everything you would need to know. It's almost like a kind of a passage that I could say oh, you don't really know anything about Christianity here. Read this chapter. Read Acts chapter 3. And then you'll, have, you'll get to the end of it and you'll have all the right kinds of questions to proceed from there. Because in the story, you have the tangible thing that we're all looking for. You have someone he being healed. You have this, this kind of like, wow, power, power is out there. God does fix things. God is there to meet people in some powerful way. You have the healing. You have... Um, you have a crowd of people rushing with spiritual curiosity. You have a sermon that's given, but it's a special kind of sermon in that it, um, on the one hand, it invites everyone to, be a, to kind of come into the same kind of healing that this, this person has just been healed with, but it also covers the grand scope of the biblical story, and at the center of it is Jesus, the story of Jesus being rejected and, and, and dying and then rising from the dead. I mean, it's just this, this incredible passage of Scripture. In some ways, it just, you know, it's one of those you can almost just read it. And it's, even though it's 2,000 years ago, it still just has so much in it that the, I think you can just kind of trust this pa passage to speak for itself. But I'm a preacher, and so... <laughs> 
I don't, I don't know how to do that. I just, I need to talk for a little bit here, so. Um, the, and of course, the key that I'm excited about in this passage, if you know me at all, is this phrase, times of refreshment. You know, turn to this God and get ready for times of refreshment. What a picture. Oh my gosh. If you've sat down with me in our dive group and probably, uh, I think over 40 people have been through our, our series that we've done where I've led people on this thing called dive I love to talk about how this is what the story of the Bible is all about. Like, like we're all in a desert, but there does exist this place. It's like, a, it's like a well in the middle. And for whatever reason, most of us miss it most of the time, but it's there and you can actually find it and you can actually drink from it and it actually satisfies. And that's what's being preached here. There's times of refreshment. And we're all desperate for that. I asked the question last week, who's desperate? And you guys wrote on those little cards, question of the week answers. I love this. Somebody says, uh, I am. Yeah. Um, someone says, I think of illegal immigrants and refugees. So many people are hostile to them, but we need to think, what would make us run from our homes with only what we could grab and flee in fear and everything we know and have and try to get somewhere safer where our own language might not be known? Someone else says, one who has come to the end of themselves. Someone else, and you can guess maybe what age bracket this comes from. Someone says, I am desperate to have candy, (laughs) to go to the fair, to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Real answers from City Life Church. So are we a little bit like in those cartoons of my childhood where the, you know, you know, someone crawling through the desert, sweat's pouring down, you know, it's like you're about to die. You remember those cartoons? And then what do they do? They look up and they see like a, like a, a lake and palm trees around it. And then, you know, often it turns out to be a mirage, you know, in the cartoons at least. But aren't we like that? Is, aren't we ready to hear these words and to find them to be true, to come into times of refreshment. We're all desperate for that. So how do we get it? And let me just look at this huge passage. Um, Someday I think I'll do a sermon series of six weeks on this one chapter, but today let's just look at the whole thing and and say, how do we get to those times of refreshments? And I would say this passage gives us three clues of how we get the gospel of refreshment into our life. And they are that we need to be surprised, we need to be implicated, and we need to be invited. We see that in all, I'm, I'm always fascinated with surprise, and there is so much surprise of this crowd that's rushing towards Peter. Um, it says that they're surprised. It's in verse 11. Um, they were astonished and came running to them, and Peter's first words were, why does this surprise you? They were surprised. I, I have a, someone I know who's a professor of preaching, and he, he was asked, um, by someone, what's the one tip you'd give to like a young preacher learning how to preach? And he said, he thought about it for a second and he said, preach the surprise. And I think that's right. And it resonates with my own kind of grasp of like what this exchange here on a Sunday morning is like. Where, where are we and what do we all need? In some ways, we need to be, we need something to kind of, to surprise us, right? We need 
something to turn a light bulb on, something that we didn't expect. We need the unexpected. When you're in a ho-hum place of mind, when you're in a um, status quo mindset, are you going to, most likely, are you going to suddenly be, in a, be transformed by something? But when the rug just got pulled out from under you, when something dependable gets grabbed and then shaken up, now there's an opening for transformation. And so a question we might ask ourselves is we maybe envy this crowd, this rushing, they're running to the scene with surprise. Um, as this, they're probably surprised by the, just this, this leaping, this person who was lame. And, and that doesn't mean that was just, the person was a downer to be around. Um, it, it means they were physically needed healing. So this person now leaping and jumping, um, and I think that's what surprised everyone, that this really that was so tangible they couldn't get around it. This was shaken up. And we might think about ourselves and wonder um, what's, what might be keeping us from being capable of being surprised. Um, I was reading something this week uh, in a book by... Uh, Richard Lovelace, and I have a couple of things. One of them I'll share now. He's talking actually about the history of revivals and kind of renewal movements in the church. He's talking about um, one of the periods right at the beginning of the 20th century in 1904 to 1905 when there was some revival action happening. And But he said there was something, he's basically kind of commenting on um, what can be noted about this period um, as, as this revival and people were kind of expressing their spirituality and their hunger and living out their faith. He says, they had gradually moved into a kind of worldliness, namely, a covetous immersion in affluence. The dynamic of prayerful concern for God's kingdom, which had characterized the earlier evangelicals, was replaced by religious forms and legalistic moralism, camouflaging the church's ultimate concern for the feathering of their own nests rather than for the enjoyment of God and the advancement of his glory. And as I read that, my mind just move, first of all, had this kind of thought like, oh, some things never change. You know, you could just plop that into uh, somebody writing today, right? And I, my mind just moved towards uh, how affluence seems to sort of in, insulate us from the surprise required of the message of Jesus, the surprise required for the gospel to have a spark. And so we can end up in a place where we can be staring right at the miracles of God displayed right before our eyes. And there's a dull comfort that keeps us from even recognizing that God is at work. So first off, it's just 
you know, just peeling away some of those layers, thinking about being surprised. There's so much surprise in this passage. And we all need surprise to move closer to God. But secondly, in this sermon that Peter gives, it's clear, once again, if, if you're familiar with the Bible, it's clear that we need to be implicated in some way with, with this story. We need to be implicated. And it's pretty harsh stuff when you get to verse 15 and Peter says, this is, this is a, a really fascinating and brief, amazing way to put this, you killed the author of life. Catch the irony in there, too? You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. There's, there's an interesting thing that Peter's actually talking to crowds of people who are in Jerusalem, and perhaps a lot of them in this part of the same crowd that was shouting, was kind of led to shout, crucify him. Um, and so they're, you know, very much, there's that kind of part of that. But what the church has done with a lot of wisdom over the years is our tradition has been to always kind of see in the gospel story to see ourselves in their shoes too. Not just, you know, this wasn't just for the people in that crowd who were literally there on the Friday evening shouting crucify. It's, it's kind of a catch-all for all of us. We put ourselves, we implicate ourselves into the story. And to get Christianity, that's kind of what you do. You associate yourself with the guilty crowd that is a part of the narrative of the Son of God ending up on the cross. You killed the author of life. And that's really an aha moment in the gospel. If you lose that, you lose the aha, you lose the spark. If you lose the fact that I'm implicated, that I'm a part of it, that I'm a part of the problem, that something's not right in my own heart, then, you know, you, you automatically are distanced from the work of God on your behalf. Sometimes we have moments where we realize it. It's like when I was, um, it was a, a couple of months ago, I had a... Um, I had a snacking fail. We've been, we've been dabbling in various low-carb diets for a while, just kind of exploring this. There's a lot of things written about it. And so we have now something in our house that we haven't had ever, as I can think. We regularly have beef jerky in the house. And you know, you're trying different brands. Well, there was this bag of beef jerky in the snack cupboard and it was the one that was like the brand that was not really liked by the, by the household in general. So it was back there for a little bit. But I was, you know, I'm thinking, you know, we've got a couple of bags here. And that one's, let me just kind of be the sacrificial guy and take that one out and have some beef jerky. And kind of get the, this one out of the way so we can get to the stuff that everyone likes. So I'm, I'm doing that. I'm eating this beef jerky. And um, I'm reading something, and, I'm, and it, all of a sudden, like, I grab the bag for the second. I hadn't even really been looking. I'd just been eating it. I grab the bag and, and go for, like, my second go at it, and I look inside. <laughs> and, and it is just, like, unbelievably covered in mold oh. as I look in there. <laughs> and I'm just, oh, my goodness. You know, it's like I'm still, like, a little bit of it is still, I'm just swallowing, like, mm. The last little bit in the back of my mouth. And, um, you know, so I throw it away. I actually grab a different set and put a, a clean piece in my mouth. Just, just like cover it over, you know, like, ugh. 
And I feel like that's a picture in the crowd, you know, your, your collective groan when I said that, right? I couldn't have planned that better. That collective groan is part of the story of being human, isn't it? And it's also just a part of getting the gospel to see that there's, we get ourselves in places, sometimes, sometimes even unknowingly and innocently, like me with the journey, we get ourselves into places where we go, what am I putting into my life? What am I grabbing and what am I nourishing myself with? And those are actually good realizations to have. They're hard to have. Our pride doesn't often let us share them with others, but they are good places to stop and wonder. One of the people um, who is really courageous and brilliant in willing to depict the state of his heart without God's help is Henry Nouwen. And I want to just read something he says as he reflects on himself. He says, The farther I run away from the place where God dwells, the less I am able to hear the voice that calls me the Beloved. And the less I hear that voice, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and power games of the world. He goes a little layer deeper. He says, it goes a little something like this. I am not so sure anymore that I have a safe home. And I observe other people who seem to be better off than I. I wonder how I can get to where they are. I try hard to please, to achieve success and to be recognized. When I fail, I feel jealous or resentful of these others. When I succeed, I worry that others will be jealous or resentful of me. I become suspicious or defensive and increasingly afraid. Sorry, I looked up and I lost my place. Rookie, rookie mistake. <laughs> Okay, I become suspicious or defensive and increasingly afraid that I won't get what I so much desire or will lose what I already have. Caught in this tangle of needs and wants, I no longer know my own motivations. I feel victimized by my surroundings and distrustful of what others are doing or saying. Always on my guard, I lose my inner freedom and I start dividing the world into those who are for me and those who are against me. I wonder if anyone really cares. I start looking for validations of my distrust. Wherever I go, I see them, and I say, no one can be trusted. And then I wonder whether anyone really loved me. The world around me becomes dark. My heart grows heavy. My body is filled with sorrows. My life loses meaning. I have become a lost soul. Christianity and Jesus should not be understood as something that's asking you to count up your naughty sins and feel terrible about them. It's, it's, it's asking you, though, to... Be honest about the condition of your heart. And if you can be honest about that, and if you can be honest about how you can see in yourself a really true and deep thirst, then you can be appropriately unsatisfied with where you stand and desire to be leaping and jumping and finding times of refreshment. Blaise Pascal 
there's a, there's a quote by him in your worship guide where he, he reflects on kind of how humanity's heart works. And he says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Blaise Pascal. Surprised, implicated, and last invited. In order to get the gospel, you have to experience God's invitation. In verse 19 of chapter 3, we see that invitation so, so fabulously spoken. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I picture this rushing crowd not like a group of paparazzi or gawking rubberneckers coming to see the next trick. But I picture this crowd, if I really enter into this story and begin to get curious about why is there this rushing crowd, I picture them as ones that are carrying each of them in their own hearts an issue of healing in their own lives. And as I like to imagine this crowd, I like to imagine that's why they're running. That's why they're rushing to Jesus. Because each of them is taking with them healing in their own self or in the world around them. And they're seeking times of refreshment. And I, I wonder as we sit here today, if, if, as you're sitting here, if you get a sense that you come with something like that and that times of refreshment are available to you. But more importantly, that God today, now, and you being here as a part of this, that God is moving towards you with an invitation. That God is actually tugging on you, getting involved in your life in real ways, even right now God is speaking to you in a way that he really is hoping that you'll hear this invitation. That if you're surprised enough and have some sense of you've eaten the beef jerky, you know, you've eaten, <laughs> you have some sense of being implicated, that you sit here, that he's ready and he's pulling and he's saying, please, please, this is for you. These times of refreshment are for you. That in the space once filled only by your best solutions, and that space gets stale and empty, in that space, he's ready himself to exist, to pour into you, to be available to you, to complete you, and to remind you of what you already suspect, to remind you of how beautiful and wonderful you are and were created to be, and to move you on a journey to expressing that more fully because of Jesus. Can you believe that that invitation is happening, is active, and is right in front of you today? Again, Henry Nouwen, 
on how we doubt this. He says, I realize that I'm not used to the image of God throwing a big party. He's talking about the prodigal son. It seems to contradict the solemnity and seriousness I have always attached to God. But when I think about the ways in which Jesus describes God's kingdom, a joyful banquet is often at its center. Jesus says, many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. And he compares the kingdom of heaven with a wedding feast offered by the king to his son. The king's servants go out to invite the people with the words, look, my banquet is all prepared. Imagine God speaking to you in this way. Look, my banquet is all prepared. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But many were not interested. They were too busy with their own affairs. Just as in the prodigal son, just as in the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus expresses here the great desire of his father to offer his children a banquet and his eagerness to get it going, even when those who are invited refuse to come. This invitation to a meal is an invitation to intimacy with God. This is especially clear at the Lord's, at the Last Supper, shortly before Jesus' death, where he says to his disciples, From now on I tell you I shall never again drink wine until the day I drink the new wine with you in the kingdom of my Father. And at the close of the New Testament, God's ultimate victory is described as a splendid wedding feast. The reign of the Lord, our God Almighty, has begun. Let us be glad and joyful and give glory to God because this is the time for the marriage of the Lamb. The blessed, or blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now one goes on to say, celebration belongs to God's kingdom. God not only offers forgiveness, reconciliation, and healing, but wants to lift up these gifts as a source of joy for all who witness them. Are you cognizant today of God's invitation to healing and to joy? Are you cognizant? Are you aware of how persistent he is? God is after you. Have you seen some of the signs lately? If you're paying attention, you'll see them. I have one more thing I wanted to share. I want to make sure I have the right thing in front of me. Um, oh, yeah. So, as I was reading this, this author, Richard Lovelace, the, the name of the book is The Dynamics of the Spiritual Life. He said something else. I already shared one quote from him, but he said something else that I thought closes things well. As he talks about those who finally grasp and, and it kind of clicks the experience of the gospel, of God's love, and he describes kind of some of the ways that the, the ancient revival preacher Jonathan Edwards described kind of those who it seems to really click in, because Jonathan Edwards was puzzled by how much fake religiosity there was in the revival, so he, he kind of made a study of like trying to spot the fake versus the real. So this is kind of a summary of what Jonathan Edwards says about the real experience of once, once the invitation of God's grace is, it clicks. 
he says that what you find is that there is an appreciation of God's worth and grandeur divorced from self-interest. Such experiences create humility in the person rather than pride, and they issue in the creation of a new spirit of meekness. They issue in, a spirit, uh, they issue in the creation of a new spirit of meekness, gentleness, forgiveness, and mercy. They leave the person hungering and thirsting after righteousness instead of satisfied with self-congratulation. Most important, their end result is the performance of mercy and justice. That's a picture of the end result of those who find refreshment, times of refreshment through Jesus, the risen Lord. Let's pray and let's ask that we might find it. Our God of grace, some of us are probably in different ways already intrigued in having an experience of you um, making your way into some of the cracks of our hearts. Perhaps some of us came already this morning with a sense of the times of refreshment already from how you have been at work in the weeks, days, or months prior to today. And some of us maybe are just barely um, beginning to be curious about it. And all of that is just where, just how things work and how we are. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would move all of us in the direction of knowing just how incredibly good you are, how available your grace is, and how we can trust uh, freely entering in. And we can be brave enough to be vulnerable. Because the refreshment and the healing and the renewal that's available is more than worth it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.